How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is the 99th episode, and I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, George Frizzard. How's your tooth? <laughs> it ain't good. Not the so best. So you broke, you chipped your tooth, right? Or you broke it, or what? I don't know how to say it. What do you, what do you call it? Yeah, I cracked it, I guess. Uh, I cracked like a quarter of one of my back, I think it's a molar. I'm not sure exactly what each of the teeth are called, but... Uh, wow. Yeah, cracked that last night, so it's just been kind of bugging me today, but not not any pain at least. Were you chewing something? Yeah, I was eating a taco. And that broke it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I was shocked myself. I thought there was something sharp in the taco, then I was like, nope, that's tooth. How are you supposed to wear a mask at the dentist? I don't know. That's going to be a weird thing. Like, I when I called and made my appointment, I didn't ask about like what the COVID changes are. So that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that works. Uh, I saw in New York that everything except movie theaters are open. You've got gyms and casinos, totally fine. But, you know, uh, Cuomo just really, really wants movie theaters to go out of business. So that's not allowed. Not allowed, according to the blue we, states. They have theaters open in San Diego. And I was like, do I really want to drive two and a half hours to see Tenet? And I was like, nah, I don't really want to. I'll just wait. I guess I don't, like I don't know. I feel like if you go in and you wear a mask, like I wouldn't get popcorn, right? I would just right. go to the movie theater, wear my mask the whole time. It's so spaced out, and they have to have those special new filters in their air conditioner, like, and you're not moving around, so you're not spreading the air. You're not like jostling it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that all works. I mean, Michigan also, all the theaters are shut down. Like, all the closest ones to me that have showtimes are in Ontario. So, yeah, uh, I think there are quite a few drive-ins, though, that seem to be getting pretty popular around here. But I, I still haven't gone to a drive-in yet. Apparently, the snack to get at a drive-in is a hot dog, not popcorn. How do you feel about that? Uh, not the biggest fan. I mean, I like a hot dog. I just don't think it's movie food. Like a rotisserie hot dog, I'm... I'm a decent, decently large fan of them. Like I'm not hyped to get a rotisserie <laughs> hot dog, but I'm I'm into it. But I agree, it's not movie food. I mean, I like a lot of roller food. Like I've eaten my fair share of Seven Eleven taquitos. I just don't think that that's movie food. The Seven Eleven near my house is a fucking war zone. <laughs> so if it wasn't, I would be there on like a Friday night after a bar, but. There's always something bad happening there. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> it's always popping up in your citizens app. Yeah, it's like always at that 7-Eleven, that corner. It's like, well, I know this is... I mean, it could be happening at Papa John's, but Papa John's closed. So 7-Eleven is the only option for man-wielding bat or like <laughs> <laughs> naked guy or whatever the fuck <laughs> pops up around here. It's it's crazy. People are like leaving California in in mass, and it's so hilarious. They're all going to Idaho, dude. If I lived in Idaho and I saw these people who like have been ingrained in the California lifestyle for decades showing up, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, totally. Don't come different. ruin my state. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of one of the weird things about this whole COVID situation. People working remote, possibly moving out of state because they might yeah. never have to come back to their jobs and. Just interesting to see how this will change the job landscape. We have news this week. Um, Most of it's good, I think. Some of it isn't. And then in the movie section, we're going to talk about Color Out of Space, which is not a new movie, but it's new to Shudder, and a lot of people seem to be discovering it. But the first thing I want to talk about here, George, 
<laughs> is the Resident Evil TV show that's been floating around for years at this point is finally confirmed to be real. And as we expected, it's more of the same bullshit from Constantin Film. So they announced it on their NX account, which I already hate like a lot because it talks like it's a person. <laughs> and I just like fucking hate that more than anything. I don't like brands who pretend they're people. That's like one of my biggest pet peeves on the internet. And they announced this eight episode show that follows the daughters of Albert Wesker. And it's split between two timelines. So in the first one, 14 year old sisters Jade and Billy Wesker are moved to New Raccoon City, a corporate town forced on them right as adolescence is in full swing. But the more time they spend there, the more they come to realize that it's got secrets and that it's monsters. And then it cuts to the second timeline that's like well over a decade in the future, there are less than 15 people left on Earth. <laughs> it says 15 million, but I thought it'd be funnier if it was 15. <laughs> and more than 6 billion monsters, people and animals infected with the T-virus. Jade, now 30, struggles to survive in this new world, while the secrets from her past about her sister and her dad and herself continue to haunt her. Uh, they say it's for every type of Resident Evil fan, including those joining them for the first time. And I could not disagree more <laughs> with that statement because I'm like a Resident Evil fan. And like as much as I hate being the guy who's like, this is going to suck, this is going to fucking suck. <laughs> this is the worst possible direction you could ever take this franchise after those seven piece of crap films. I mean, the first one was fine. It was fine. But the other six are pretty bad all around. And it's even more egregious when you consider that they made it sound like we were done with it after the the seventh movie. But no, they're bringing back the same old universe that nobody likes. Yeah. I mean, that's really weird because, I mean, we've had the uh, Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes within the last couple of years. Both yes. of those are were extremely popular, you know, huge hits. A lot of people talked about them. And the RE1 remake was huge too, the HD version. So it seems like a no-brainer to just adapt that into, like, a make each of those a season or just take the story that's clearly laid out for them that people are familiar with and adapt it to TV instead of <laughs> Albert Wesker's two daughters that nobody gives a fuck about. I mean, it just does not make any sense to me why that is what they choose to focus on. It's like, who are you making this for, really? Because... Taking something that's successful, like the Resident Evil name, and then making something completely foreign to what those games are, that's making it for an audience that isn't the fans, because you're obviously trying to not make them happy. And why are you even making it at that point? Just make any other zombie show. Like, everyone already knows you've driven the Resident Evil name, like, 10 miles into the ground. There's no way you're digging that back up. And then you go and set it in the same universe. Fucking stupid decision, if you ask me. Also it's like you said it's all set up for them you've got resident evil 1 that's a whole season resident evil 2 and 3 combined could be a whole season of a show resident evil 4 could be its own thing resident evil 7 and that was supposedly the rumor of what they were working on when this got announced it was supposed to be produced by james wan and it was going to be an adaptation of resident evil 7 and i i just don't know dude it's like <laughs> netflix is apparently instead of making like big budget highly scripted good content that made people sign up for their service in the first place they're going for more like reality tv teen drama type stuff and that this sounds exactly like that 
Yeah, and the other weird thing is, like, I can't imagine that there's anybody who's actually, like, a major fan of the Resident Evil movie universe. Like, there can't be people out there that are diehard Resident Evil movie universe fans that would care about this. And then, if if they're going to make it a teen drama, what teen, random teen, you know, who's never heard of Resident Evil is going to pick this up and be like, oh, this is so interesting. New Raccoon City and Wesker... Like, one of the more obscure characters. I, I just don't understand what they're going to do with that. And every time they introduced a character from the games and the movies, they would either die or just not be in the next one unceremoniously. Like, they, the characters didn't behave like they did in the games either. The way that this company has handled this franchise is a complete lack of understanding about what makes it good. And I don't understand why Capcom is just cool with them keeping the license. Like... If I was Capcom and I put all this effort in to rebuilding from scratch my biggest franchise to the point where it's one of my, like Resident Evil 7 is the best selling Resident Evil game of all time, followed probably by Resident Evil 2 remake. And then I've got this awful company that's just basically using the name to just produce garbage. I'd be suing the shit out of them for my rights back, <laughs> but they're letting them make a Monster Hunter movie with Paul W. Anderson. And Mila Jovovich. So it's like, they're like, well, we already drove one franchise into the ground. Better start over with our other best-selling game of all time, Monster Hunter World. You know, that's got a lot of hype right now. Let's make something that's completely different than the game that no one is asking for. And Netflix understands how to make a good fucking video game adaptation. They've got the Castlevania one, which, lo and behold, caters directly to fans who grew up with Castlevania games on their Nintendo. And... What do you know? It's fucking great. They know what they're doing. And they're about to do it with Dragon's Dogma, which is another Capcom game. So, like, what's going on with Resident Evil? I just don't understand. It's ridiculous. It'd be so simple to just one-to-one adapt Resident Evil 7 and cut out the whole stupid boat. And then you've got the best Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that's ever happened since the first one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that works with... Like, I just don't think it would be a popular show. Like, I don't think that in this format it would be popular. Like, the audience that it's catering to, like, younger teen who probably aren't even familiar with the game since it's not even related to the games at all. Uh, Like, I don't know why they would hop on to this show at all. I don't either. And, like, I am the most try-to-be-positive, try-to-see-the-silver-lining-in-everything type of person, especially when it comes to content. But this is just, like... You've already done it. You've already done this. And it didn't work. Like, yeah, they might have made money on it for seven films in a row. But, like, I mean, you've got to care about your reputation, right? I, I mean, you would assume that they would want their tie-in to their one of their biggest franchises to be, you know, well-received amongst fans of the franchise, you would assume. Capcom's also got a Mega Man movie in production. I think it's live action, which is insane to me. And it's uh, from Neve Shulman's brother, the guy who directed a couple Paranormal Activity movies. And someone caught up with him and asked him, like, why are you excited to make this Mega Man movie? And he goes, because Mega Man's the classic underdog hero. It's like, what? <laughs> are you kidding me? Mega Man rolls into, like, these seven fortress- fortresses and just decimates robots and other human being robot hybrids. He fucking slaughters them. 
for three games in a row. He's not an underdog. He's like built to be this perfect <laughs> specimen of a hero. It's like, I don't understand where the disconnect is with Capcom on making movies and making games because on the game side it seems like they figured everything out they got this great engine they've got cinematic movie quality stories happening in resident evil 2 and 3 devil may cry 5 is insanely good and overlooked and then you got resident evil the tv show featuring the wesker kids what are you doing (laughs) i just don't get it yeah and like i'm sorry if this is too negative for people we're gonna move on in a second but it's just like there, there's a point where you just gotta like look in the mirror and say who who am I making this content for? Yeah. Because I don't understand what the audience is on this show. I don't, I I I don't think the guy who's making this. I think he worked on Resident. E, uh, he worked on The Walking Dead, which I guess like zombie to zombie. You know, because there's so many zombies in the Resident Evil franchise. Just like what. 15 that they interact with ever total they're usually just in the background i guarantee you if someone asked this guy point blank who is this for he wouldn't be able to give you a straight fucking answer Uh because no one knows yeah i mean it seems like a very weird decision and really disappointing as a resident evil fan usually i say i hope i'm proven wrong and i hope this turns out good but i don't hope i'm proven wrong (laughs) i hope this fucking bombs and capcom takes the rights back and makes a resident evil show because this isn't a Resident Evil show. This is just taking the Resident Evil thesaurus or vernacular dictionary and just applying terms and phrases to a completely different idea. Yeah. Like, what reality is Wesker working for, like, Nuketown from Call of Duty? And he's like, hey, guys, look at this idyllic place. And, like, I, like, I don't think Resident Evil, even in 6, the most jump-the-shark insane game... I don't think the world ever got to the point in that universe where it was overrun by zombies. And by like Resident Evil 3 in the movies, the world is completely overrun by zombies. So it's so uh what? Like four of the seven movies already have this exact same plot as their adult story and then the child story. Like no one wants to see two kids hanging out in an undestroyed <laughs> raccoon city. Yeah, like the worst part in Resident Evil 2 is when you have to con- play as that child. I hope this bombs harder than any shows ever bombed on Netflix. <laughs> and I hope Capcom, you know, turns 180 degrees and realizes how hard this crap is tanking their reputation. Because, like, fans don't even... There's no Resident Evil fans, like you said, who like the movies. Uh, I, I, like, don't even feel bad. Like, usually I'm like, well, I should pull it back a little bit. But, like, nah, fuck it. Sounds like shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's... I don't think there's any hope for that show to be decent. And it was hilarious. When Resident Evil 7 came out, it came out like literally within weeks of the final movie, which also happened to be Resident Evil 7. And just the like stark, stark contrast in quality. Just coming off of Resident Evil 7, being hyped as fuck, going to the premiere of this movie, and just being bombarded with terrible action. And this movie fucking killed someone also, which is insane. There's that stunt woman who did a motorcycle stunt for the movie. Oh, yeah. And then died. That's cool, right? Yeah. Probably feels good to die for Resident Evil 7, the it's movie. It's just a disaster. Yeah, it's like a disaster. I feel, bad for, I feel bad for everyone involved. And I feel bad for anyone who thinks they're like... All right, last, last thing. You can tell the mentality going into this is I'm going to prove the fans who think this isn't worth doing wrong. Like, that's how it feels. And that is the stupidest intent ever for a TV show. 
It's like, no, we can do this right. We've given it seven tries and we all, we only got into the same orbit of doing it right once with the first movie. But now's the time. It's like, just start the fuck over and do it right. If anyone's excited for this, you can email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear any justification for this show come from anyone out there who's listening. But moving on to some happier news, we have a release date for Scream 5, which is now just called Scream. And it's coming out on January 14th, 2022. Uh, Paramount is also the distributor of this. I don't know if that's new. I think they released all the other ones. And a lot of the cast is confirmed already. You've got Jenna Ortega, Melissa Barrera, Jack Quaid, the star of The Boys, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. But Neve Campbell, or Nev Campbell, as everyone gets mad at me when I say it, Neve, even though it's spelled like that, she hasn't been confirmed but, like, it's got to be a matter of time, right? I mean, I would really hope that she would come back. Yeah, like, they got David Arquette and Courtney uh, Cox. Courtney Cox. Yeah. Like, how, how do you have them but not Sid? Unless she's, like, dead. They're going to pull a Halloween 4 and she's, like... Yeah, they'll just have, like, a photo of her and be like, it sure was sad that she died in that tragic car accident off screen. So, when they announced this, they announced it with, like, a little GIF video thing showing the ghost face mask, which is nice. Because, you know, it's not always a guarantee we get that in these movies. And it's not going to be called Scream 5, it seems. It's going to be called just Scream. So I, I kind of feel like this is going to be a, a way to get Gail, Dewey, and Sydney if she does come back out of the franchise so that they can, like, kind of like continue without them. Bit. Yeah, because it's not... It's weird that it's not called Scream 5. I guess that, like, numbers aren't really a thing anymore in movies and games because they scare people away. I think especially when you get as high as 5. Right. Like coming at the fifth entry i feel like that would scare a lot of people away um that's obviously why halloween was called halloween two years ago um and a lot of people really want kirby to come back who's hayden pantier i want her to come back too she was great in scream 4 and i feel like this is her moment to be like i am a scream queen you know because she's awesome yeah i thought her character was awesome in scream 4 scream 4 was a great movie most of the i mean i think three is definitely like the low point but i like the whole franchise pretty much so I mean, as long as it kind of captures that similar idea, I, I mean, I would also kind of, I agree that it would be smart to kind of like refresh it a little bit, you know, get, get back like the main three characters, have them, you know, officially, you know, kill them or have them leave in some way and then kind of start fresh for, for like a more modern take in. And I think that would probably be the, the best route to take. I think it's such a ripe franchise for that. And Paramount really needs some horror hits bad so i'm glad they're releasing it because you've got warner brothers and new line doing stuff like it they've got the stephen king adaptations and then they got the conjuring universe and then you've got universal just pumping out blumhouse releases and i feel like there's room for a third big distributor to come in and kind of you know take a little bit of that big horror pie and paramount's been slowly building that up with the quiet place and then now they've got scream and i guarantee they'll release that new hellraiser they're also putting out though george next year on march 4th no in 2022 wait i'm gonna do that again they're also on march 4th 2022 putting out paranormal activity which are you excited for this are you excited for paranormal activity to come back i mean i i like all those movies i mean even i do too they, they all scare me like i think that format that like found footage house ghost moving around causing havoc is always scary to me. Like, I think all those movies are legitimately creepy. Uh, and I like the lore. Like, I like the cult thing. I, th I always thought that was cool, that they had that, like, old 
you know, history and like the demon and the Toby and all that. Like all that was really interesting to me. So I've, I've really been a big fan of the franchise. So I'm happy to see it come back. Yeah. Blumhouse has been working on this for a while. Cause I think Blumhouse owns a lot of the rights to it or something like that. Like Blumhouse just like, cause they started with, uh, paranormal activity. That's really what put them on the map. Mm-hmm. So they got Christopher Landon, who is the writer of Disturbia and Paranormal Activity 2 through 4, and he directed the Mark ones. But he's also the guy who wrote and directed Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. He's writing out like a like a lore roadmap for this reboot, and then he's going to hand it off to an, like a new filmmaker to write and direct it. So I think that's good, actually. I think that's good to have a good writer who understands the franchise come in and kind of create this, you know, bible for them to follow so it doesn't go off the rails completely again like it kind of did yeah. in the last time around <laughs> yeah definitely when they stopped uh numbering them well what was the the marked ones yeah that one was cool i like that on its own but it it was just like so different and then the ghost dimension apparently was just going to tie up all the loose en- loose ends and it was just terrible so bad they didn't even put that in theaters wide releasing <laughs> it was like on vod yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's how that franchise kind of <laughs> ended. Yeah, that is weird because I remember the first one being kind of a cultural phenomenon. Like, you remember those ads that they had for Paranormal Activity 1 where it didn't even show the movie at all? It just showed people's reaction in the movie theaters. And then. Yeah, I always the, wanted to be in one of those. <laughs> it was cool. Like, I thought that was a really cool marketing scheme. And that was a good movie. So I, I'm happy that it's coming back. I think that, you know, it's smart to have, like you were saying, smart to have somebody kind of plot out where it's going from the start so it's not you know if it does kind of hand off from filmmaker to filmmaker as this new franchise goes on there's at least some backbone to it instead of like one person does one thing in this movie and then they completely you know overwrite it in the next one i think that's necessary especially for kind of a beloved franchise like this yeah and it's like obviously blumhouse wants it to come back because that's like this is like their biggest money maker they've ever had and if it's done right, I don't see any downside to it. Did you know they made a VR game that was like completely standalone, like a Paranormal Activity VR game? I heard it's actually really good. No, I've never even heard of it. I think it might have been a PlayStation exclusive for a while. Okay. But I, I'm not sure if it connects to the movie. But like putting someone in a Paranormal Activity movie would be sick. Sounds horrifying. That <laughs> sounds so t- terrifying. It sucks that we got to wait so long for it, though. That's like really far out. It was originally going to come out next March. But they delayed it a whole year, probably because of COVID. But, like, I can't imagine these things take that long to shoot, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, COVID-related with, you know, movie sets are probably a complete mess right now. And it's just really delaying everything. Every movie that was going to come out this year is now getting punted to next year anyway. So they probably don't want to get stepped on by, uh, you know, like all these other movies like Spiral and halloween kills and all this shit right. like there's not really a good spot to bring back paranormal activity right and even outside of like the horror movies what fast and furious is coming out next year new james bond movie like there's a lot of other big huge releases that are hopefully coming out next year that I, it's going to be pretty crowded yeah i guarantee Candyman gets pushed like there's just no chance that's coming out in september no i, I would bet say they, that's i bet they push it none. that seems like a summer movie like a june june release I feel. Yeah. Hopefully there are movie theaters by then. <laughs> um, but for video game players who don't need a movie theater, Dead by Daylight is getting a massive graphics update. So we kind of talked about this, I think, a while ago. They've been building up to it. But starting on September 8th, 
every six weeks, Dead by Daylight's going to get an update that massively improves one aspect of the graphics. And this is leading up, obviously, to the PS5 and Xbox Series X release. And on those consoles, it's going to be 4K 60 frames per second. So they put up this trailer uh, yesterday that's just a like one-to-one uh, you know, fly through of all the maps showing characters and stuff like that. And the graphics, like, it's a very noticeable difference. Did you check that out? Yeah, it looks really good. Um, I'm excited that they're doing this. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, like the Switch version isn't going to look that significantly better because just the hardware limitations. Yeah. But um, I I think that everything they're doing with Dead by Daylight is really smart, where they're introducing that, you know, one account where you basically make a Dead by Daylight account and then your progression tracks based on wherever you, like, log in to play that. I think that's really yep. smart. I mean, I would say, like, the big downside of the game is that it's not the, you know, the best-looking game in the world, so I think this really helps to update the graphics this much. And um, really, the cool thing about the game is it's been out for a decent amount of time, but anybody could really jump into it still. Like, it's not like you feel like you're missing anything. It's not like a Destiny game where, you know, you're coming at the fifth expansion, and you're like, whoa, I missed, like, all the lore, and I missed everything, like... This is a very easy game to jump in and just play a bunch. Like the monetization is a little weird in it. It's pretty expensive, like to get um, new characters and skins and stuff. But they do. They did introduce like a battle pass system, which I did the last one and I got through it pretty quick. It was it wasn't bad. Their characters are like the survivors. They're not like iconic or anything, but they kind of have. They built up like a fan base that really cares about what's going on in the lore of the game. And their original killers are all pretty good, but I'm hoping that the Michael Myers, the Freddy, and like the Leatherface, they all get this graphics bump too, because their Michael Myers is terrible. He's yeah. like the worst. <laughs> he doesn't look great. Uh, like the Laurie Strode uh, survivor doesn't look great. Yeah, the the Ghostface one was weird because he's wearing like a tactical vest and he just has like the mask on, which is kind of strange. I don't know if that's like a rights thing. It is because. There's this whole thing. It goes back a long time, but Wes Craven in his estate, because he's dead, obviously, he never owned, and Paramount or whoever never owned the rights to the Ghostface mask. They were, like, renting it from the Halloween company. I think it's literally what it's called. It might be called the Ghostface company or something. Oh, right, because it's just, like, a off-the-shelf mask. And they're really cagey with uh, the Scream license and stuff and letting things use it. That's why I think they ran into an issue with the first two seasons of the tv show like the company just was like wait you're making it into an mtv show like fuck that so that's why they couldn't use the mask and then mm. i guess they didn't want to license scream as a whole so they just went around them into ghostface weird which, like that works that yeah ghostface has some like his main costume's a little weird it's like a little goth for some reason but mm -hmm. there's some cool other skins for that character i've seen so yeah and you were you're right like this is cool for players. It's all free, which I think is sweet. I bet they will update the Switch version as well because it runs really, really good. I think it runs fine. It's 30 frames locked, very little slowdown or jitter. It's just a little muddy. So I feel like if they could clean any of that up, they probably will because the cross-play, the cross-account thing you were mentioning, it only works with Switch and PC. So oh, okay. you can't you can't do ps4 to p or ps4 to pc or ps4 to xbox or ps4 to switch it's only like switch pc so i feel like that's them basically saying those are the two biggest player bases yeah i mean i would assume so i mean it just and that makes sense to have the handheld mode connect to the full pc the, mode right the largest other player base makes sense to me 
Yeah, and I checked. I was trying to see how many people uh, play this game, and they say they have 30 million players, which is fucking nuts. It seems like there's a ton kind of current on Steam whenever you check it out. Like, any time of yeah. day, there's, like, at least a couple thousand, like 10,000 or so. I think it's, like, honestly, I think it's actually, like, 150,000 it gets up to sometimes yeah. just on Steam, Yeah, which is crazy. So that's cool. Uh, that all starts September 8th. I hope that's when they kick in the cross-save stuff with Switch because that's what I'm kind of waiting for. But... That's it for news. Now we can get into our new segment, future programming. We've got some new release dates to put on your guys' maps. So this week we're starting out with The Dark and the Wicked. It's coming out November 6th from RLJE Films, one of our favorite distributors here on the show. And the plot synopsis is, On a secluded farm in a nondescript rural town, a man is slowly dying. His family gathers to mourn, and soon a darkness grows, marked by walking nightmares and a growing sense that something evil is taking over the family. Uh, this is from Brian Bertino, who did The Strangers, Mockingbird, and The Monster, all of which I really like, obviously. And The Monster was great, and Mon- Mockingbird scared the pee out of me. That's what I wrote <laughs> down here. Yeah, it looks really good. Um, I'm also a fan of those movies, and I think it's cool. It seems like it's kind of a mixture of... You know, it's like the secluded area, kind of like the strangers. There's like this kind of evil force, which I don't know if that'll quite be like the monster. Um, but it seems like it's kind of a mixture of a few few projects that he's already done. But uh, looks looks creepy. I'm, I'm really excited for it. He's one of the most underappreciated directors, I think. Because every time he shows up, puts something out, it's usually good or scary at the very least. Like Mockingbird isn't an amazing movie, but I think it's scary. And that's what's important. Strangers is great. He just kind of like goes away, writes a movie and directs it, and then comes out and just releases it. And it's yeah. weird that A24 put out the monster, but they just dumped it to uh, VOD or DirecTV through that weird deal they had. But that was a movie that I don't think got enough love. But this one, this premiered at Fantasia, I think, like a couple weeks ago. And every review I've seen of it is amazing. Like everyone loves it. But that's so weird, though. When those movies come out, they get reviewed at Fantasia when no one else can watch them. Like, right, and then nobody thinks to like thinks about that movie because they weren't at Fantasia, and then it doesn't do well. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. It's it just seems a little bit like counterproductive. Yeah, counterproductive, and like if I'm a movie distributor, I don't really see the value in having critics even be allowed to see the movie that early. I guess it gets the word out, but like usually there's a whole six months to a year after the movie gets purchased at a festival where the nothing happens you know they restart the marketing campaign right like what's literally happening right now with a uh, possessor like we got a poster for that movie we got the plot synopsis i think there was even a teaser like almost a year ago at this point but now that movie's coming out we're going to talk about it in a sec it's coming out on october 9th and then november 6th on vod and they just re-released the trailers it, it does seem weird i mean i guess there is a benefit to you know being kind of hot on the festival circuit just because maybe it gets shown in more festivals or critics talk about it more but it seems like that doesn't really translate to consumers watching it more because it did well at a festival for the most part i always see when movies come out that were reviewed in festival like sites like bloody disgusting they'll on twitter they'll repost the review tweet like the link mm-hmm. they'll be like here's the link to our review of possessor but we reviewed it like a year ago but i don't think they ever boost it back up on the site which like if I like I feel like I feel like I would boost it back up on the site to the front of the page because to most people it's going to be a new review. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a new release for 
probably 99% of people that are going to see it. Yeah, right. It's just confusing. I'm not making a statement or anything. I'm just like pointing it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just the festival review circuit thing is weird. So if anyone's got any insight on that, let us know at uh, Fear Frequency on Twitter or at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. The next thing, I already just mentioned it, is that Possessor is coming out November 6th on VOD, and you'll be able to see it in theaters and in drive-ins on October 9th. But the important thing to note here is that it's an uncut version of the movie, which is sick. So when we had Luke on a couple weeks ago, uh, which is a great episode, you guys should go back and check it out if you haven't, he mentioned that they definitely would have to edit a lot out of Possessor to make it an R-rated movie. Like, it was very clearly like an NC-17 deal. So I'm glad that they're not doing that. Or they might be, I don't know. But we are getting an uncut version, which is, that's obviously the version I want to see. Yeah, I mean, I think if that's the, you know, director's intended cut of the movie, I think that's that's what should be shown. And if they're doing it on VOD anyway, I mean, I don't think that's a huge problem. You know, most, I would say most VOD movies are probably unrated. Um, yeah. So that that's the cut that I, I personally want to watch. That's a good point. I don't, yeah, I don't think... I never see ratings on VOD movies. Yeah, like I've never thought about it, but I, I assume that most of those VODs are just unrated. And then the last thing here is Never Hike in the Snow, which comes out on October 13th, obviously for free on YouTube. It's 30 minutes long. And if you guys don't remember, we covered Never Hike Alone, the first one of these, which is an hour long uh, when it came out. So you should definitely go check that episode out if you haven't heard it. And the plot synopsis is a local Wessex County sheriff named Rick Cologne and Deputy Alan Mabry search for answers. Town local Tommy Jarvis believes that his old nemesis Jason Voorhees is to blame. Will Diana Hill ever see her son again? Or will her son become another lost victim of the curse camp? So my friend Cortland, one of my best buddies, he's playing Diana Hill's son, I'm pretty sure. And he's in the trailer. And dude, I thought Never Hike Alone was better looking than a lot of the Friday the 13th like theatrical films. This is a step up. This looks amazing. Yeah, it looks... It's like you're saying, production value is like off the charts for this. And it looks like they're doing some cool stuff you know, with Jason, obviously it's in the snow, a biome that we've never really seen him interact in, uh, uses a bow, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm excited for this. I, I love the first one. So I, I have total faith that these guys could make a cool follow up. Yeah. Cortland was telling me that there was a much longer cut cause they shot a lot of footage for this, mm-hmm. but then they kind of like went back in and they were like, Hey, this doesn't really need to be this long. So they cut it down to about 30 minutes and Cortland loved it what he saw i haven't seen it yet but i've only heard good things about it obviously he stars in it so he's a little biased and obviously he's my friend so i'm a little biased (laughs) but it looks really good from the trailer if you guys haven't seen it it looks awesome they call their version of jason ghost jason yeah uh like like you were saying i think that's one of the better like friday 13th movies is that if you want to count that within the the franchise so i think anybody who hasn't seen it you know it's free on youtube just go check it out Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for future programming. Now let's get into the movie this week, Color Out of Space, which just launched on Shudder. It's their Thursday movie this week, which is funny because it's kind of old, but that's okay. They gave us brand new movies all summer long. And this one is the triumphant return of Richard Stanley going all fucking out on a Lovecraft movie that I personally really enjoyed. I went in with pretty low expectations, And I got to say, I was blown away by the production value on both practical effects and CGI effects. They were both great. And the score, I thought, was just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, the one aspect of this movie that I think is going to rub some people the wrong way 
is Nick Cage. So that's your biggest gripe with it, right, George? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, I think this movie kind of comes down to like how much Nicolas Cage acting you can stomach. Because uh, he's just like, there are some scenes where it's just like so hammy that, you know, you just have to sit and like roll your eyes. Like, I get that he's trying to play a, you know, farmer that's going crazy. And so it makes sense that he kind of plays this like off the rails character. But I mean, just like some of the line delivery and everything is like so hammy. It was all like too much for me to take. Yeah, there's a part I wrote down where he's yelling at his daughter, Lavinia. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I've had it with your drama, Lavinia. And he's just like freaks out. It's just like, come on. That was really weird. I think there's just like alternate takes they probably could have and should have used in a lot of these moments. But the fact of the matter is he's playing a character who moved his whole family out into the woods. And it's very clear that they're living off of their farm. And he's an eccentric dude. Like he has alpacas, even though they live in Massachusetts. Right. Right. He's obviously kind of a weirdo. And he, when he, he, when he drinks the milk from the alpaca, that was, that was just like peak Nicolas Cage for me. (laughs) And like I don't I don't love Nicolas Cage. I think his shtick kind of can get old pretty quick, but out of all the characters I've seen him in recently, I felt like this one fit the best, but I feel like yeah, it's just tonally this movie shifts so wildly from being legitimately terrifying at points to goofy comedy weirdo dad type stuff with stilted dialogue that kind of feels mumblegore. And I was like, I don't know if I'm liking this these huge tonal shifts. That's kind of what bothered me. I mean, I think that's kind of like one of the big issues is just like consistency of the movie is like really hit or miss. Like there are scenes with some really cool visuals, like you were saying, you know, great practical effects, um, great CGI, you know, certain, uh, there are, you know, the score is amazing. Like there's are scenes that are really cool and interesting, draw you in, but it's like, like you were saying, it shifts so often between like what kind of movie it is, how the dialogue is, you know, if the characters are trying to be funny or if they're being serious and, and like some of it hits and a lot of it doesn't and it's just shifting a lot so it's hard to be like consistently you know into the movie the whole for the whole runtime yeah it starts so strong and it ends really strong like the first act and the third act are both really good it's the second act that kind of drags on a little bit and it feels a little aimless like i feel like that happens a lot with lovecraft stuff where the villain is this a thing that no one can understand because it's an alien from another dimension or something like that. And that's exactly what you're getting here. It's just like this meteor lands in this in front of their front yard, basically. And it emits this violet hue of color that starts to affect the water, starts to affect Nicolas Cage, starts to make really cool body horror start happening. Like it's killing all the animals and morphing them and shit. And that's really cool. I like that. Then in the middle, you just see this descent into madness. But there's really there's really nothing keeping them there. You know, like this family that we're focused on. I feel like at any point, they could have just been like, wow, this meteor is really fucking shit up for us. Maybe we should leave. <laughs> right. And I've, a couple of people say that. And then the argument for not leaving is never very strong. You know, like Lavinia says it, I think at one point, the wife, the mom, she wants to leave a couple times. I mean, at one point, she cuts off two of her fingers and it's, pre- it's a pretty graphic, like, good practical effect. I love the way that scene played out. But I feel like after that, that's when you're taking a hike, you know? Like, you're out of there. Right. I mean, it just seems weird that they wouldn't just get away from the giant rock after they see all the weird things that it's affecting. But And it's weird that they bring it up in the movie and then don't answer it. 
Like if they're yeah, if they don't have an answer for the plot hole, don't even bring it up. Right. It's like introducing a gun and not using it. You know that right. thing. That's exactly what they did with why aren't they leaving this house? And their house though is awesome. I love all the sets in this movie. They're all very lived in and cool and gothic. They feel like kind of Batmany and. There's one character, the hydrologist, who you told me is kind of the focus in the story that this is adapted from. He's really prominent in the first act and the third act, but he's nowhere to be found in the second act. And I thought he was great. I would have actually liked if the story focused more on him, which is odd it didn't because he narrates the movie at both the beginning and the end. And we every time we see him, he's doing something cool. Like he's out there with his land cruiser he has my first car he's got his little base camp set up there's like really good uh atmosphere of the forest like he feels like he's out in the woods even though this presumably takes place in modern day and i just i would like more of his investigation i feel like that would give the movie more of like a through line of a story because it's kind of like in the first act he's investigating the water problems because he's a hydrologist and then the second act he's still doing that but apparently in the third act they introduced that he was investigating and the local sheriff found these like mutilated animal morphed corpses i feel like they could have introduced that a lot earlier and showed us that investigation happening and i i think that would improve the movie a lot yeah i I mean basically that that is the biggest shift from the lovecraft story is that it is it's kind of from his perspective he's like the local scientist comes into town he like talks to the locals about what's going on because the you know the meteor crash there he does like some experiments on the meteor then you know the third act happens where you know everything kind of goes insane and so a bit you know it shifts from like seeing what's happening in this in the story which is kind of the main plot of this movie and then him like actually running experiments and figuring trying to wrap his head around like what the meteor is and what are the consequences of it and how it's affecting the world. So I, I think that structure works a little bit better. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you're saying, I think he's probably the strongest character in the movie. So it would have been nice if they focused more on him. Yeah. It's a, he's a great actor. I didn't write down his name, but he does a awesome job in the role. And just the idea of like a college student working on his thesis, trying to like investigate the local happenings in this small secluded town. Like that's so interesting to me. And they kind of, they have it in the movie. They just don't have it enough. And the Nicolas Cage aspects, like like I said, I think he's great, perfect for the role even of who he's playing. But it's kind of like too much of a good thing. You know, I feel like if we lost a few of the scenes featuring him in favor of showing more of the hydrologist, it would even out the movie a lot more. Yeah, yeah it might not be, it might not be this weirdo head trip that it is. It might be a little toned down, but there's the the reason I think it would work is you've got two of the coolest elements of body horror I've seen in a long time. I feel like we're we're about to hit like a return of body horror because you've got this and then obviously we just talked about Possessor coming out from Brandon Cronenberg. I really hope that kind of kickstarts this because that shit is fucking terrifying. There's a part where Jack Jack and the mom they're kind of investigating the meteorite and then it zaps them and fucking fuses the eight-year-old kid to her back yeah, and it's this pretty huge horrifying practical effect yeah and they, and they don't shy away from it you see her a lot they were really proud of that effect and you can totally tell it looks real because it's so like moist and <laughs> it's very slimy yeah like the way you hear hear her breathing and shit and like they put the dog bowl of water in front of her mouth and she drinks it like a dog it's like whoa that is scary and then all of the alpacas that uh Nicholas Cage is taking care of morph into like one big glob of 
flesh and it looks really cool but as you mentioned super derivative of the thing mm-hmm. like it, it it doesn't feel like an homage to the thing like they don't reference it in that way so i feel like i i don't know that just that struck me as a little weird like it's a great effect but we've seen it before and kind of done better i i don't fault the movie for any of that like i said i agree that it has like really cool visuals the effects are amazing the score is good i just think it's like very uneven and i i didn't really care about like any of the characters the main family i think that the there's like a some weird loose ends in the movie like the tommy chong character could have just been cut out completely i feel um yeah yeah okay so like we're we're kind of spoiling this movie because it's over a year old so his deal is like he's just their neighbor right like he lives out there and he purifies his own water yeah like he lives on the property but I, I assume he's just kind of like a hermit type, like, just kind of, you know, does his own thing. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, I, I, I think we could lose him, too. It was funny. It was like a nice little gag, but I don't think it really adds much to the story. I got, But that is part of the hydrolysis uh, investigation, you know, like, so then we're losing a little bit there. But I feel like if they added more of him, we could lose that kind of weak moment. Right. They could have, like, restructured that a bit. Yeah, the only reason it's probably there is because they realized how little this main character is actually in the movie. <laughs> right. So how how much does it differ from the actual story? Uh, I mean, I would say a lot of the events that happen to the family in this are, like, basically, like, one-to-one recreations. I mean, the tomato scene, which is, you know... I still think about this scene like once a week because it just really is so bizarre to me. Like it's so Nick Cage overacting at the most extreme. Uh, but the tomato scene is in the original story. You know, it talks about how. Does all it the... play out like that? I mean, he's not like, oh, no, these tomatoes. He's like, you know, he <laughs> sees all of his fruit and it's like disgusting and like way larger than it should be. And it's all these weird colors and he cuts into it. He takes a bite of it. it does... There's like no flavor to it. Like it's. Like, it's just weird. Like, everything about his crops are weird and his animals are acting weird. And so it's basically, like, the same things happen, but it's just not quite portrayed the same. That scene, you just reminded me of it. Jesus Christ, that's that's <laughs> one moment that I really just fucking hated. I was like, come on, dude. He's, like, spiking the tomatoes yeah. into the trash and shit. And it, his wife's fingers are cut off and she's coming up to him. She's like, hey, can we, like, figure out what's going on here? And he's like... Am I not doing enough and shit like that? It's like, what is going on? I like, I don't. The kids, the kids at, at that point, they have to have the the brains to leave. And then after the mom is morphed to the child, Nicholas Cage has just completely accepted it, and he's told himself this lie that he's going to be able to save her. Right? It's just like yeah. And then he has those weird like talking to his dad's ghost or something, or like hallucinating that his dad's there with him, and it's. I don't know what that's all about. Like I didn't really understand that's what was happening until like very late in the movie. Like who the fuck is he talking to? There's some like I you know that adds like the high strangeness of it, which I deeply respect. You know I, I love movies that are just really weird, but I mean there's really like no nothing in the plot that explains that or alludes to it or it's really just him talking to his dad and it's like I, I okay so it also makes you hallucinate, but like just him I guess. Yeah, I really like that all these different directors are taking advantage of the fact that Nicolas Cage is fucking broke as shit <laughs> and he'll do anything now. But he's kind of playing the same character in everything he's in. You know, it's just, it's not 
I don't even remember his character's name. I just remembered Nicolas Cage, yeah. you know? Like, he's not... You can tell it's an actor. He's he's not, like, bringing me into the movie in any way. And it was kind of funny watching it at the beginning. But, yeah, like, just pointing the camera at him and letting him go nuts. I don't think it paid off as much as <laughs> Richard Stanley thinks it does. I mean, Richard some... Stanley's kind of a nut, too, the director. He's that guy who, like, he the Cursed Island of Dr. Moreau or something... He went fucking crazy on the set of that movie. I think he got fired from it. And when he was on the way to the airport, uh, he had the airport or the taxi driver bring him back to the set. And then he sat by the river off the set and like put a bunch of curses on the movie. (laughs) And then all of the actors would come down and talk to him and they like, put him back in the movie they put him in a suit like a practical suit so that the execs wouldn't know it was him so he's like in the movie i guess it's this whole weirdo story like people you gotta go look this up so the fact that this movie is as coherent as it is because he basically quit directing after that it's been forever since he did anything then this was his big comeback i feel like it's a wonder that this is as coherent as it actually turned out yeah and i would i would I think maybe, like, this style is just his thing. Like, maybe he just is into Lovecraft or, you know, can adapt these really kind of weird, you know, out-there stories like that. I I would definitely watch, you know, if he adapted another short story, I would watch it for sure. I would, too. I think that's what he's going to be doing is sticking with uh, Lovecraft stuff. And I feel like I'm pretty sure that this was the same production company uh, as Mandy in the long run so i feel like we are definitely going to see more richard stanley but this movie ended up blowing up it came out right before quarantine happened so it's not like this is some obscure ass feature like this is honestly one of the the biggest movies i think shutters acquired in terms of like production value and scope i mean i saw it at my local art house theater so i saw the like limited theatrical run i don't think it ever made it to like wide release but um, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, it played like around me when there was out there. Okay. So did you like it more the second time? Yeah. Or yeah. about the same? No, I, I would say I like it. Like I can, you know, take a step back and just kind of like respect it for what it was. I think I just didn't really know what to expect and it was a lot to process the, my first viewing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but kind of on a, on a rewatch and just, you know, kind of knowing how the story plays out and, you know, being familiar with the source material now and, you know, just kind of enjoying it for what it is. I, I definitely did like it more my second time around. The bar that we usually try and clear with Shutter movies is, would we watch it again? I definitely would. I think the production value here is insane. Like, it's just so good. The CGI um, Praying Mantis, I think, looked awesome. I was really impressed with that. That's something I wanted to nitpick, but I couldn't because it looked so good. The practical effects, just like as a showcase of those, it's awesome too. And when you compare it to something like The Void, which I feel like is a movie that went in with very similar goals, like having insane practical effects and retelling a Lovecraft story, I think this one achieves its goal a lot better. I think this one is, like, much more coherent, and you actually like most of the characters, you know? Whereas the guy in The Void's a huge dick. Yeah, I'd agree that it's more, yeah, more coherent, I guess. Like, it's, it's one singular story, whereas The Void has that, like, really like hard 90 degree turn like halfway through and then it just that's kind of where i fell off like it was cool visually but the plot in the first half was way cooler so i i think this at least kind of keeps like one story 
like consistent in tone all the way through in terms of like you know it's a meteorite family goes crazy they solve the problem or whatever um whereas the void you know completely shifts in my opinion like halfway through yeah it turns into a completely different movie right. and the first the first movie it is is way better than the second one right i think yeah so i was a little confused when shutter sent out that email to justify raising the price they were like we got joe bob season three we got creep show season two and we got color out of space i was like that's kind of like an odd movie to highlight like that but now that i've seen it i completely get it this like it, it really feels like like it's like a prestige movie for them to have kind of like mandy was because they actually got mandy also but this is way more accessible than mandy in my opinion like you're saying this the production values are kind of off the charts in this movie like it looks very high quality and i think that you know that's just a, a good movie to showcase if you know you have an exclusive that is you know not only is it a lovecraft adaptation which i think is pretty hot right now uh you know it's not like a shitty one there's you know really high production values there's a big name actor tied to it especially like you're saying mandy which a lot of people really like same actor which i think this movie would actually be a pretty good double feature with mandy um yeah they both have that same color palette yeah totally so um I, I think it just makes sense i think it like it's almost cross promotion like you'd watch this and then mandy or if you liked mandy you'd watch this yeah, the reason I asked if you liked it more the second time is because um, Blake, who we had on last week, he, the first time he saw it, rated it a two and a half out of five, but then he went back and watched it again on Shudder uh, when it came out this week, and he bumped it all the way up to a four out of five. I'm sitting pretty at a three and a half. You know, yeah. I wish it was a little more coherent. I wish we got more focus on the uh, hydrologist. I think he was a great actor, kind of like underutilized, and Nicolas Cage kind of felt like too much of a good thing, but then on the positive side you've got great practical effects incredible score great cgi as well they that isn't overused in any way and i would like to see more from richard stanley hopefully he doesn't take another 20 year hiatus or whatever 40 year hiatus yeah i i'd agree with that i think my initial review was like a two but i'd bump it up to a three and a half yeah so just a very solid movie all around so Make sure you guys let us know what you think of Color Out of Space. You can hit us up at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. I also would really appreciate it if you guys went and rated the show on iTunes. Uh, I think we have like 82 ratings now, which is more than most podcasts out there, which is kind of crazy. So I appreciate all that you guys have done already. But if you're one of the many other listeners who haven't rated the show yet, it really helps. We really want to get into that top 50 list on apple Podcasts. that's like a goal of mine from the beginning and i feel like we actually are getting close to that so if you could give us a review five stars would be much appreciated takes only a second you can also follow me on twitter at jimmy champagne you can follow george at george frizzard the show is at fear frequency we post a lot of memes yeah one today is pretty good right yeah i mean the the meme game has been up a lot i think a lot of people have been interacting with them I've been doing a lot of Halloween memes. <laughs> they always work. Always has been. I know our audience. <laughs> Yesterday I did the one where it was like the blissfully unaware of what was going to come, like a picture of you in January. And I found that screen grab of Dr. Loomis with the when he smiles at that fucking psycho uh, priest in Halloween 4. I do love that. One of the best scenes in that whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that, movie, that scene's great. I love Joe Bob's like breakdown of it. Yeah, where they're just... Two kinder, like 
two, they're the same person basically and he just sees like a mirror <laughs> when he sits down in the car yeah i did the i hope this email finds you well and i did uh how this email found me and it was halloween five michael <laughs> it's, it's but yeah give us a rating and a review on itunes make sure you follow us and uh thanks for listening guys i will see you next week bye